Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you, and we're glad you would take the time to join us today. I'll admit to you that I am I'm actually pretty nervous, and it's one of those nervous sermons because I really, really care about the message. So um, that means I'm very passionate about this one. I like I like to think I'm passionate about all of them, but we know that that's not always the case. But this one I really care about. So I hope you'll uh, enjoy it. And uh, we're going to have three kind of main sections of this. If you're a note taker, three things that will help us follow through here. But nowadays, there are lots of choices that teenagers have to make that can be, I'm sure, many of you feel like are very stressful. Uh, different things about, am I going to am I gonna stay in this extracurricular activity? Am I going to do this or that? All very stressful. But the biggest choice that many students, and many of you are maybe at this point, they have to decide is what they're going to do after college. Okay? Now, some of you, you may have been born in a family where your first baby picture said A&M class of 2047 or whatever. You know, you may have been that child. But for most people, it is, and most teenagers that I talked to uh, when I was a youth minister, it can be a kind of a debilitating thing to decide what am I going to do because it feels like up until this point, I've, I've known every day where I was going to sleep. I was going to be at my family's house. I've known every day where I'm going to go to school. I know that I'm going to, you know, I kind of have this idea. But now all of a sudden, my whole rest of my future hinges on whether I make the right choice or not. I might go down door number one and I might live in Rhode Island and work at a furniture store. Or I might go down door number two and live in Georgia and own a car dealership. How am I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to decide these paths. And what I, what I wish I could get the students to think about, and this is something I want y'all to think about, is just how privileged you are if you live in a society where you actually have a choice after high school of the life you want to live. Most people through most of history did not think at all about what they were going to do after they turned 15. I mean, you might even say after they turned 12. For most of history, most every single person was like, I was born in that house. I'm going to live my whole life in that room. And whenever I'm older, we're going to build a little room next to it for me to get old in. And I'm going to work this field and I'm going to for my whole life. That's most of human history. So I try with the teens to try and do this thing where I say, I'm going to try and bring this into context just a little bit. I know this is stressing you out, but you should have no, you, you have no idea of just how fortunate you are to be someone who is trying to decide between all these possible options for your future. And at the same time, I can empathize because as someone who overthinks and overworries about things, I can also understand that with that choice also comes the other side of it, which is having to make the choice and feel like you have to live with the consequences of, did I make the right choice or not? Was this the best thing? Because, you know, if I pick this path, I'm going to end up way over here. And if I make one little different decision, I might end up way over here. So I want you to log that away. Uh, today we are in, I told you this was going to be our last sermon in Deuteronomy, but as I was preparing this week, I could not fit this last section into one, so it's going to be two sermons, 
And what we have in Deuteronomy is three major sections. There's the introduction, and then the middle part, which is where we've been the last few weeks, where Moses is reiterating and expounding on the covenant. He's saying, we are about to go into the promised land. We are about to try once again to do what we've set out to do at Mount Sinai when God gave us this covenant. And we're about to go to this promised land that he promised our ancestors. And we've got to decide if we are going to buy into these commands or not. And so now where we're starting today is in this third section, which is the, are we going to say yes to this or are we not going to say yes to this? And we start this section with this unique language that I want to read to you and we're going to discuss. So we start this section with, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to read all of it because it would take way too long, but it, it can be summarized in these two slides. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, God says, or Moses says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then, a few verses later, we have this. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And so we have this list that he goes through of, if you live like this, here are blessings. If you choose not to, here are curses. And I want to be completely upfront. If any of you hear the word curse, I can understand if you think, man, that just doesn't sound like God to me, this idea of God cursing us. That, I, now, some of you, you may grow up and be like, oh, I heard about being cursed by God all the time. But for me, personally, it rubs me the wrong way to go, man, I don't love this language. And, and I came up with three reasons you may not like this language, this list of blessings and curses. You may be someone who feels like you have done all that you can to obey God's laws and you feel like you have had a more cursed than blessed life. You may read this and go, that wasn't my experience. I worked so hard to obey. And I, if you had to ask me, does it feel more like I've been blessed or cursed? It feels more like I've been cursed. Or the opposite. You may look around and see people that you think, you know, I was over here trying to go to church, trying to be this good obeying kid. And I'm hoping and counting on the blessings. But then I look over here and this kid doesn't care at all about it. And it's like, hey, how come they look so blessed? How come their life looks so great? And then the, the third reason you might, if you're like me, you might have struggled with this language is you may be someone who knows life is way more complex than this. You know, if you spent one day living real life, it doesn't really feel all this simple. Hey, follow, obey blessings. Hey, don't obey curses. And you're thinking, hey, uh, this seems a lot more complex. If you're someone like that who thinks I think this is, there's more to it, Got a great book for you called Ecclesiastes. Okay, and we can you can talk with me more about that, and we can go. You can find it online. And we can read, listen to it. But there are a few points that I want to try to make you consider of what is going on. The first one is this is ancient tribal, ancient Near Eastern kind of ceremonial covenant language. We don't do this quite like this anymore. But basically, if me and Colton are going to go into an agreement about something, hey. Me and Colton, we're going to decide that we're going to buy this rent house together, and I'm going to take care of this. He's going to take care of that. You, you better believe that I'm going to have some things where I'm like, now, Colton, if you don't hold up your part of, you know, this, there's going to be some problems. And Colton, if he has any principle and self worth, is going to say, now, Drew, if you just kind of back out on this, like, I'm going to hold you accountable. Does that make sense? 
And so part of this is ceremonial, tribal. Hey, y'all, we got to make a covenant together. And part of this comes with if you do it, good. If you don't, bad. The second thing is if you remember our Proverbs series, and you should remember, remember some of this language that we talk about, that in Proverbs, the author is trying to show us that woven into the fabric of the universe are certain things that are, if you tend to do these things in your life, Good things tend to happen. If you tend to do these things in your life, bad things tend to happen. Not because God is out to hurt you, but because it's woven into the fabric of the world. You might believe, you know what, God, I believe I can fly and decide to jump off the roof of the church building. But woven into the fabric of the world is gravity and you will get hurt. Okay? And it's not because God's mad at you. He's like, hey, I kind of wove that into the fabric of reality. Okay? Another example is, yes, there are plenty of people who could tell me, I know one time that a really good thing happened out at night after midnight. Sure, I have some examples, but you can't tell me that in general, woven into the fabric of the universe, lots of not good stuff happens at night, after midnight, outside. And you can't convince me that choosing to be inside often leads to better stuff. Does that make sense? You with me? God's not trying to hurt anybody. That's just an example of something that's woven into the fabric. I heard one, one preacher say one time, when you go against the grain of the universe, you will get splinters. Wisdom in Proverbs 8, wisdom cries out, calls out from the top of the building. And Lady Wisdom says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Wisdom is calling out to you saying, please come find me because life tends to be at my door. In the next chapter, you're introduced to a person called Lady Foolishness. And when you read about her, she sits at her door. She can't wait to entice young men to come into her room. And there, it says, is the realm of the dead. Okay, you with me? All right. Last one, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when he preaches this whole sermon, he says, whoever puts my teaching into practice is like a wise man who builds their house on the rock. Whoever does not is like a foolish person who builds on the sand. Jesus' analogy is great. He's not saying, well, you're a good person, you're a bad person because you did the rock, you did the sand. No, he's just saying, in life, if you build on a solid foundation, it's going to be smart. If in life, if you build on the sand, it's often going to be a problem. And then somebody raises their hand like, wait a second, what if it's this special kind of sand? What if it's this, eh, you missed the point. In general, there's a smart, and in general, there's a problem. Okay, and then the third point, and this one is very important, especially with the context of Deuteronomy, is that God's purpose all along has been, I have made you for a purpose. I have called the people of Israel. I'm going to bless them so that they will be a blessing to the world. And one of the ways that we as God's people, originally the Israelites and now all those who claim Christ as Lord, are going to be a blessing to the world is that when they see how we live in our covenant community, they are going to say, that's where life is, that's where wisdom is, that's where truth is. And if the people of Israel are not living according to that covenant community, what holds them together, then they're not going to be able to go be a blessing to the world. Does that make sense? Y'all, stick in this covenant, follow these commands because I want to bless the world through y'all. And if you're not, then you're just like all the people that we just kicked out. And you've missed your divine, divinely given purpose. Don't forget that God, he's not interested in making really good rule followers. He is interested in godly character and in godly integrity and in godly justice, which can be seen 
in the way that people live out these kinds of commands. We are not made to follow commands. Commands are made to transform us into being God's image bearers. And so when you keep these commands, when you live with this posture in life, there's blessing. And whenever you don't, there is the word that is used in Deuteronomy, curses. The second big thing, if you're a note taker, that I want you to think about is that we've focused a whole lot on this language of blessing and curse, but I want to come back to you and focus the rest of the talk on this language, the language that Moses gives us of choice, just like that senior in high school has their choice. So if you want to go to Deuteronomy 30, this is where we're going to read for the rest of the morning. Moses says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. I'm giving you a choice. Choose the red pill, choose the blue pill. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. Man, that's strong language. That is, that's like heavy stuff. You might, we need, we need uh, Jim Sears to read that part for me. So it's like really like, man, this day I call, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give you to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the second section, the big, a big section, is the idea of choosing life. And I cannot overstate this enough. How huge is it that the God of the universe is trying to tell you, you have a choice. You get to choose, just like this young person coming out of school. Oh man, I'm so, I'm so stressed about what I'm going to do. What am I going to do with my future? Pause and think for a second how blessed you are that you have a choice in this. Okay? Just like that young person. You may have a struggle of what do you want to choose, but the first step is to acknowledge the utter magnitude of God giving us a choice and that that choice comes with the gift and a challenge. But here's the secret. Here's the secret. We want to choose, yes, everyone here is like, oh, I love being given a choice. But what we want to choose are the outcomes of our life, and that's not how life works. Notice, it sounds an awful lot like he's saying, would you like the outcome of your life to be life or the outcome of your life to be death? All of that, that's very easy for all of us every day. Does that make sense? If God stood in front of me today and he said, I've got this thing for you to swallow, it's gonna bring you life today, I've got this thing for you to swallow, and it's gonna kill you today. It's not hard for us to decide. But that's not how life works. Because what we wanna do is we wanna choose, sure, God, if you gave me the choice of life or death, I know which one I'm gonna choose. But we are not given a choice, we are given the opportunity to say, this is how I'm going to contribute to my life. Each day in this complex world that we live in, we want to choose the outcomes of our life. We want to say, sure, rich or poor, I know which one you might choose. I want to choose amazing friends or terrible friends, I know which one you might choose. The dream job or a terrible job, perfect family or not. We don't get to choose the outcomes, we get to choose the way we will live, and we choose our contribution to that. There is something to be said 
for how little control we have over the outcomes, but we have the agency of our choice. I want you to think of every person in the Bible who is given a choice by God or an angel or a messenger, and that person has no idea how the outcomes are going to turn out. Think about Abraham. Follow me. I will make you into a great nation. Oh, I, I hear that outcome. That sounds great. But I'm going to have to choose. Am I going to move and leave everything to go here, or am I going to stay? And he has no idea, as you see through the story, how this is going to get worked out. But he chose to contribute and to live going, I'm going to go this way. Think about Moses. Moses was given a choice. You want to come work for me in Egypt and, and free these people or not? He doesn't know how that's going to work, but he has a choice. Think about Ruth. Ruth was given a choice, and not just a choice, but Naomi was like begging her, I want you to choose to go back to Moab. But she was given a choice. And she didn't know how it was going to turn out, but she chose life with Naomi. Does that make sense? Think about Mary. Mary doesn't know how this is going to work out. You are going to bear the Son of God. She has no idea how these outcomes are, but she has a choice of how much she's going to say, no God, not me, or yes God, here I am, use me. Think about the disciples. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you have a choice, follow me or not. You think, they said, oh, well, before I follow you, could you maybe give me some more details on like, what's my life insurance gonna be like? What's my 401k gonna be like? What's, what kind of salary we're we talking here? Living quarters, we're we gonna say five-star hotels, three-star, no, they don't know any of that. They just know that they have a choice to say, I'm going to follow you. Life is complex, and at the end of the day though, this is me, Drew, personally. You know, there's part of me sometimes that doesn't like when we oversimplify things, and then there's another part of me that likes to oversimplify things. And I remember my dad saying that my great-grandfather every day used to pray, today I get another opportunity to choose whether or not I'm going to be a follower of Christ every morning. Every new day that comes, I get to choose whether I'm going to buy into this or not. And I think there is some simplicity to knowing. And, and if you're like me, you've sat there before and you've thought, Drew, I've had plenty of times where I've had to make a choice in my life. And sometimes I can't tell which one is a God choice and which one's not. And so I have this quote for, me, for you from Thomas Burton that's always given me a lot of comfort when I think about this. So I'm going to read this quote. It's kind of long. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. I don't know the outcome. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in everything I'm doing, or you could say for our context, everything that I'm choosing. I hope that I will never do anything outside of that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. You will never leave me to face my perils alone. That sounds to me like a person who doesn't know the outcomes, but knows I have a choice of whether I'm going to pursue godly desires or not. And so the final move, the third section, is this question. Okay, Drew, this sounds nice. If you told me there was a way to just choose life or choose death, I know which one I would like to choose. But what does that actually look like in our life? What does choosing life actually look like? In Moses' language here, it seems to say, choose today what you want, and that is true. But the choice is not just a one-time thing. When the people of Israel all said, yes, we want to choose life, it didn't mean that for the rest of their time following God, they aren't having to choose anymore. As you know, that whenever you 
Whenever I stood before Catherine at the altar and the minister said to me, do you choose to marry Catherine? And I said, I do. It's not like, okay, great. I don't have to choose that anymore. I chose that day. And the next day I have to choose again. And the next day I have to choose again. And the next day and the next day and the next day. It is a one-time choice and then a daily continuous choice to say, I'm going to be in covenant relationship with Catherine. Or Kat and I have been blessed. I know this isn't the case for everyone, but we have been blessed that we decided, we looked at each other and we said, we want to start trying to have a family. And when we did that, we made a choice to choose that. But guess what? The second that baby arrives, you better keep choosing that. You don't get to stop choosing. You know what? I changed my mind. I don't know about it. There's a funny TV show where the boss who, the boss character is an idiot. He comes in and he says to the secretary, he says, you know, I kind of think I might want to adopt. And the secretary is like, you know, adoption is a big process. He's like, really? They don't just like give you a kid? No, not really. And like, you know, it costs a lot of money. Really? He's like, but I don't even know if I'm going to want a kid after all that time and all that money. They were like, yeah, that's kind of why it's a big process. He's like, oh, you know, never mind. You don't get to just choose. Today, I feel like doing this. And now I don't choose anymore. It is this continuous thing where you make the one-time choice and then you keep making a choice. There are so many people that want to choose life, and they'll say, yeah, it's easy for me. I'll choose life over death, but, or they might say, I'll choose heaven over hell. Sadly, that's our, been our strategy for a long time. But people want the life, but they don't want the, this is the key word, the lifestyle. Or you might say the commitment. They want the life, but they don't want the lifestyle. I'm gonna list a few examples. People want an incredible garden and manicured lawn and with landscaping, but they don't wanna spend hours in the sun pulling weeds. They don't wanna spend all the time and money watering their yard. People want to be runners, but they don't wanna wake up at 5 a.m. They don't wanna give up iced coffee in the morning. They don't wanna give up a bowl of ice cream at night. People want to have a 4.0 GPA, but they don't wanna study during the day. They don't wanna start working on the research paper a few weeks in advance. They don't want to miss out on going to Whataburger with their friends at 3 a.m. By the way, Whataburger is this chain of restaurants. You know, I'm just kidding. People want to retire and live that country life. I think about Weston being a realtor and the number of times these couples move and they go, you know what, we just want a ranch and some cows and just to sit on the back porch with our coffee, looking at the sunset. And Weston's thinking, you know, a ranch is a lot of work. You want the life of the ranch, but you don't want the lifestyle of the ranch. And here's a great quote from a person that I was listening to him. I heard it. I stopped the podcast immediately. I have a wall in my office where I write quotes that I love and I just typed it out, put it on the wall immediately. So this is a quote from John Mark Comer. He says, we want the life, not the lifestyle, but the reality is your life is the byproduct of your lifestyle. I mean your rituals and your routines, the way you spend your time and your money, the way you organize your day or your week or your year. In business parlance, this is gonna get you, this is good. In business parlance, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you are getting. Now, wait a second, wait, Drew, uh, what about when this happens? What about, I get it, there's more to this than just that. But in general, woven into the fabric of the wisdom of our life, your system that you are living is perfectly designed to get the results that you are getting. I don't know if I just killed the mic, but I'm sorry. Okay, so Jesus doesn't just say, I have life, come to me. He says, I am life. 
choose me. And choosing Jesus doesn't involve choosing him, you know, some of the time, like, oh, you know, this part sounds nice. But the clearest picture that we have of the disciples choosing to live is to say, am I going to live like Jesus? So when you ask, what does it look like to choose life? It asks every day, am I willing to make my routines, my rituals, how I spend my time, how I spend my money? How am I going to choose that life of following Jesus? If you want Jesus and the nearness with Jesus, it means that your whole self needs to be patterned as a person who apprentices with Jesus. Choosing life isn't as simple as choosing a pill that you take every day. It's about choosing selflessness, about choosing Sabbath, choosing simplicity, choosing talking to someone before you're going to make a big spin, choosing contentment, choosing peace, choosing to turn the other cheek, choosing to be in God's word. One life leads to life, and one life leads to death or decay. And every morning when you wake up, you have a choice of whether or not you are going to pursue the things that are connected to the real life, to Jesus, or things that are finite and decaying. And so the plea of Moses and the plea of me is to say, I beg you to choose life. Moses cared so much about the people of Israel that he said, I'm begging you as a covenant community, choose life. And as much as that might sound like a real simple, yeah, sure, choose life or choose death, it isn't that simple, and there is some simplicity to every day. You have the option to do your best to try and say, I'm going to pursue the things that will lead to life, or I'm going to pursue other things. And you might think, well, I wasn't trying to pursue death. I get it. You don't get to control where the outcomes lead, but you do get to control where your heart is and your desire is to say, I want this. And the number one way for you to get that life is not to just hope that it's going to happen, but to say, I am going to live the lifestyle of Jesus because he's the source of our life. And knowing that the byproduct of how I'm living is me showing God, I'm choosing this life rather than this other life. If any of you would like to talk more about what it means to choose life, if you'd like to know what it means to be a part of this journey where you think, oh, well, yeah, Choose life, choose death. That one seems great. This one seems bad. With Jesus, he'd say, well, choose life. But trust me, it's not the easier path, but it's the better one. It's the one where you'll find blessing and all the things that are really good in this world that are last. Love, faith, hope, and joy. They'll be on this path. So if any of you would like to know more about that, and if any of you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be standing at the doors when we stand and sing.